grateful for the Lord's presence with us this morning and just real sweetness of being able to be in his presence. It really is a, a joy to be with you. If, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to flip to Philippians chapter 1. I have a couple of things that I want to share before we dig into that, but that's where we're going to be looking today as we read God's word together and as we take a look at what the Lord would say to us through his word. Um, I want to say just a couple of things. The first one is a bit of a public service announcement, and this is an odd place to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway because it feels like it is worth uh, stating. Um, Every year for the last, like, probably five years or more, we have had an issue with people sending uh, fake emails pretending to be me. Um, I, it frustrates me to no end that somebody would do that, uh, but they'll send something to my staff saying, hey, I need you to get our financial staff to say, we need you to get a $500 gift order, to get a money order together by the end of the day and hurry up, you know, and then the person comes down to my office and says, what is this all about? And I was like, ah, it's not for me or whatever. So they've gotten a little more sophisticated. And just this weekend, I got notice from several of you who got an email from me or they thought it was from me saying, hey, give me a call or whatever. And then the subsequent follow-up was, um, you know, I need, or not a call, but an email, send me a visa card, da, da, da. It is a scam, but it's a pretty convincing one. Uh, They got my picture on the email. Uh, They got an email that looks like it's from me. They got the church address at the bottom of the thing. And so if you get a notice that you think is from me, or if you hear of somebody else, please tell them that is not the way that I'm asking you for money. (laughs) I may ask you to give donations to Kingdom Work, but it's not through a random email that is like, hey, send me a visa card. That's not how I'm going to ever do it. Uh, And so please don't, uh, please don't, Uh, respond to that, Uh, and if anybody is in the interest of helping me set up a little sting operation, maybe we'll catch these guys uh, and figure it all out. So that is a a real thing that is happening. Please be aware of it, uh, and please do not send money. Um, Anything that is official would come from my church email address, um, which is SC Alliance Church. So anyway, please make sure that you are aware of that. Uh, So I wanted to mention that. The other thing I wanted to mention that was just a blessing from this weekend and I wanted to uh, notice was it was really cool to spend some time with the trustees and some of our other outreach-minded folks uh, cutting some wood yesterday for the Wood for Good uh, pile. And that is going to be a blessing to a lot of folks who need some fuel wood next winter uh, as that wood gets dried out and gets stacked. So those of you who helped with that, I just want to say thank you. That continues to be a wonderful blessing, and it was great to be a part uh, of that a little bit yesterday. And so thank you for the good work that's being done on that front. The other thing I wanted to mention as we get ready is we've just come through this 40 days of prayer season. And praise God for a powerful season of prayer as we were awakened to the person of Christ, his, his mission, his spirit, his return, all of these pieces. But I want to encourage you that the seeds that are sown in prayer then begin to come to life. And this next series is really all about kind of like, how does God want to bring to life the seeds that he has sown in your life or around you in prayer. So that is the wonderful joy that we have. And already we are seeing God at work. You know, one of the things that we did not anticipate when we entered into the season of 40 days of prayer was that the Afghan refugee project not only would be so beautifully embraced by this congregation and by other congregations around, but that God would actually turn up the timetable. You know, we thought over the next few months God was gonna unveil some opportunities for us, 
Working with the government is an interesting thing. As you know, sometimes decisions get handed down and it's, things are out of our control and out of people's control. But we actually found out this week that some of that timetable, people that were living in government-sponsored camps and stuff were being moved out and effective almost immediately. We actually have some families who are going to be on the ground as early as Monday, tomorrow. Uh, but let me tell you how cool it has been to see how God has been mobilizing his church to respond. So our congregation is stepping up to say, we're going to take one family under our wing of the four likely that will be coming. Uh, Calvary has taken a family. The Russian, Orthodox, the Russian Baptist Church, which is right down the road from us here uh, on the way to Pine Grove Mills. You guys know that church? Kind of cool construction. A lot of these brothers and sisters said, look, Many of us were actually resettled families ourselves. We, we sort of know this deal. So they are kind of leading the charge and helping us get some of the first families settled. So what a cool praise. In our church family, we have a team that has been assembled. Praise the Lord. We have a team leader who has stepped up forward, Rachel Fawcett, who may be with us here today. Praise the Lord for excellent leadership there. We've got several of you who are already saying we want to be a part of helping this thing and give financially and help in some practical ways. So we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus to a family that the Lord will bring us here. What will the fruit of that be? We don't know, but we're making ourselves available. Are we going to, I thought about this this morning, are we going to screw this up? Uh, probably a little bit, you know, probably at one point or another we'll, we'll do something wrong along the way. And yet I love that God uses our, our efforts and our offerings, meager though they may be. And so I actually thought in the spirit of prayer, we often do this even in our leadership meetings, that we're talking about an issue that we'll say, you know what, let's, let's stop and pray right now. Let's ask the Lord to, to give favor. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Let's ask the Lord to give direction. And so I thought, why don't we do that right now as a church family to just stop and say, Lord, you're sending some families to this area. Would you help us as a church to rise up and to bless them well, to be the hands and feet of Jesus? So could you put your own words to that prayer? And would you just, we'll just take a moment quiet before the Lord and a, a couple hundred of us, we're just gonna lift up that prayer before the Lord. Let's do that. So Heavenly Father, would you just hear the prayers of your people this morning as we are interceding on behalf of some families that are in need and, and we want to be the, the hands and feet of Christ. We want to represent you well. And so God, we don't know really what the timetable and the fruit and the things that you will bring of this, but we are saying we want to be available to your work in these families' lives. And we ask, Lord, that as we get to know them, that they would be blessed, they would be encouraged. And, and God, the, the key prayer that I've been asking is just that these families would see Jesus in the action of churches like ours and like others who are desiring to minister in his name. And so, God, we, we pause right now, and we ask that that would be done well. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, look, we're already just a couple minutes into this whole service, and we already got some great prayer time together. This is good for us to be gathering together. This is what I would like to do in these coming weeks. So let me set the stage just a little bit. We're going to start a new series today 
that I'm calling seven critical questions. The notion is that we wanna set the stage in this season over the next seven weeks. I'd like to take us through a series that will help prepare the soil of our hearts in the early season of this year. And, and to give you a little bit of a metaphor, when you think about kind of putting, putting feet to this, what, what are we talking about? If you walk outside today, or if maybe you went and walked your dog like I did, or you walked yourself or whatever outside, it was cold this morning. We are in that season of the year where everything sort of feels like it is drained of life. You know, it feels a little barren, it feels a little dry, it feels a little dead. And it's interesting to me because in just a few weeks, we will begin to see the first evidence of spring. The snowdrops, the crocus, the daffodil, the early tulip, all of these early flowers kind of catch me off guard. I don't know if you've experienced that, but it's like you're still looking at the mud and sometimes the lingering snow, and all of a sudden there's like a flower there. It's like, where did that thing come from? I want you to think about this, that the seeds for that experience were sown long before. Before you see that thing come to life, there is something that happens to plant those seeds. And I want to encourage you with this thought because some of us, you've come through a season of prayer and you say, well, the season of prayer, I kind of half missed the whole thing and I was sort of distracted and running all over the place. Others say, you know, I, I leaned in in prayer. I'm not sure if I've really seen any fruit. I, I don't really know what God has done. But every time we come to God in prayer, corporately, personally, as a family, when you get together with your spouse, with your roommate, with your friend, with your boyfriend, girlfriend, best friend, whatever, when you are gathering together in prayer, I want you to see this sort of metaphor. You are planting seeds for life that is going to eventually emerge. We don't always know the time frame. Right? I mean, there are people in this room that would say, I have prayed in a certain direction or for a certain thing for weeks, months, years, some of us decades. Some of us are asking for the, the reviving work of God. So I haven't fully seen that. I may not see that in my lifetime, and yet I'm planting seeds. I'm planting seeds. I'm planting seeds. There's a promise that Jesus gives, and I think it, I think it, it makes sense. You know, there's this growing hunger that we have that he puts in us. In fact, he gives us this invitation, John chapter 7. He says, if anyone's thirsty, come to me. It, like, if you are thirsty for that, that deeper life, come to me. And in your belief, what happens is that living waters are going to flow out of your life. So that, that, that concept has been a key theme in my life and in my spiritual growth that when we learn to come to Christ in belief, and that's what we're doing when we pray, that then out of us flows these rivers of living waters. And we don't always know the time frame of when it's going to happen. We don't always know the ways in which God is going to bring that out of us. But Jesus promises, you come to me in belief, you learn what it is to pray and be at my feet. I'm going to bring living waters out of you. And every one of us desires to be a part of a church family that says, man, we see God at work. We see God moving among us. And that's sort of the heart of this series. We want to see God bring to life the things that have been planted in prayer. 
So in that spirit, I want you to look at Philippians chapter 1, and then we'll get into our first critical questions here today after we read verses 3 through 11. Could you read along uh, as, I, as I read from the NIV? It says, I thank God, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Verse 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So seven critical questions. I I believe that each of the questions that we're going to look at in this series have just incredible amounts of application points that will impact you, that's going to impact you at home, it's going to impact you at work, it's going to impact you at school, it's going to impact you at church. I'm going to be focusing on the implications for the church, but I want you to understand that the implications range very wide for all of these questions. The first two that we're going to look at both this week and next, so you get a bonus way to start, we're going to do two questions, uh, is this, what is our current reality? What is our current reality? Second question is, what is our desired future? Current reality and desired future. Now, I don't know if these questions have a specific origin or authorship, but I first heard them at a district planning meeting, and they became very quickly a favorite tool in my leadership box. Essentially, this is what leadership is. Right? And those of you who are called to lead in a variety of ways, it is understanding correctly what is my current reality. And I emphasize correctly, because sometimes we think we know, but we don't fully know. And then looking ahead to say, what is the desired future that God is calling us to? Now, here's the beauty of it. If you are a follower of Christ today, we are not simply saying, okay, I am going to ascertain because I'm the leader, this is the current reality. In fact, what we're saying is, God, help us see from your perspective what is our current reality. And that is a very different thing at times. I'm not simply saying, here's what I think we ought to do, and I'm not calling you to say, here's what I think we ought to do, but rather to say, God, what is it that you are calling us to do? We have ears to hear. God, let us hear the voice of your Holy Spirit. What is current reality? What is our desired future? So that's our first two questions that we're going to be looking at today through the lens of Philippians chapter 1. Paul loves this church, by the way. So when you, when you think about the, the current reality 
of what, what is he seeing even as he sits down to write this church to the Philippians. He's, he's talking about a really good current reality. It's, it's very bright. In fact, he's, he's talking about the partnership and the fellowship with this great church family. And when you look at the words that he uses to describe them, he says things like, I'm thankful. In fact, every time I remember you, I am thankful. I actually thought about that as a little side note, but not, not a distant side note. I wonder what people think about when they think of you, right? What do people think about when they think of me? I mean, what kind of testimony would it, would it be when people say, like, you know, when I think about this guy, when I think about this woman, when I think about this person, I'm just thankful. I'm th because there's, a, there's something that is exuding from them that is the fragrance of Christ, the, pre the presence of Christ. That's how Paul felt about the Philippian church. So he says, every time I think about you, I get thankful. That's a powerful testimony. He says, I'm joyful. I pray with joy because of your partnership. So the current reality for Paul and the Philippian church is actually quite strong. But now look what he says about the desired future. He does not say, well, things are good, and so the process is done. Rather, he says that this is good. There's a great partnership. I'm joyful, I'm thankful, and I am confident, verse 6, that the good things that God has started will be completed by him. Our first point is embracing the process. Embrace the process. I can think of few things that have been more encouraging to me in my work and my walk with Jesus than understanding that I am very much a person in process. Can anybody else say amen to that today? Not about me, about you, but about me too. I get it, right? <laughs> amen, brother. You are in process like no one I've ever seen. The fact is, it's true. There is this process of becoming. So I love that Paul is saying to the Philippian church, I love our partnership. I'm thankful when I think of you. I'm joyful when I reflect on what we are getting to do together. This, uh, this is good stuff. And yet I'm confident of this, that God who has begun a good work is going to complete that good work in you, which means you're not done growing yet. There is still a process of becoming. I, one of my favorite little commercials, series of commercials, is the progressive becoming your parents ones. Have you guys, I mean, it's just, I can't, you almost can't bring it up without just laughing out loud as some of you, it's just so funny. It is so on the mark. You know, the generational challenge of not really wanting to become my parents. Loving my parents, respecting my parents, but you know, nobody, and I've never talked to anybody who says like, I just wanna be my parents. And yet we can't really help it. You get to a certain age, somebody told me you get to a certain age, all of a sudden my mother's words are coming out of my mouth. <laughs> what am I becoming? Love those commercials, so funny. But the question that I think is great for us to ask is what are we becoming? You know, Philippians 1, 6, I mean, it gives me this permission to be in process which is incredibly freeing. 
I mean, it is incredibly freeing. When you really stop and think about it, all the places that you want to beat yourself up, all the places that the enemy wants to go after you because you haven't arrived and you're not living like Christ in certain areas, and every one of us are not in some ways. And Philippians 1.6 gives us this permission to be in process, which doesn't have to be an excuse. It actually says, I'm, I'm growing in Christ. I'm growing in this process. I want to be like Christ, which the new nature in you wants you to be like Christ. And Philippians 1.6 gives us this embracing the process. It's incredibly encouraging but it, it gives us an opportunity to stop and ask the question, maybe frequently, what are we becoming? What are we becoming? The notion of embracing the process is particularly powerful for those who are dissatisfied with their current reality. So, there, so there's a promise here that you can grab a hold of when things are not right in your world. And I think this is also incredibly powerful for us because we live in a time where it feels like everybody is dissatisfied, right? I mean, there's, there's incredible blessings that we, we live in, and yet a lot of people are dealing with dissatisfaction with their world. But instead of a worldly approach to dissatisfaction, which is essentially a hopeless way of saying things are not going to get better, Paul is inviting us into this process, and we can actually look at our world through a very different kind of process. Some of us are dealing right now with family pain. This is not as God intended. This was not my dream for my family, right? You're wrestling with that kind of stuff, and the pain is very real. But the promise is this, that God began a good work, and he's gonna be faithful to complete it. Some of us are dealing with vocational pain. We're not sure what God is calling us to do or when or why, etc. God began a good work. He will be faithful to complete it. Some of us are dealing with cultural pain. We look at the world around us and the culture in which we live. We're not sure how to even make sense of it. God began a good work and he will be faithful to complete it. Some of us are dealing with church pain. Not here, but somewhere in the world. We deal with church pain. We, we, the brothers and sisters in Christ don't always see eye to eye. We misinterpret, we misrepresent, we, we hurt one another, we make bad decisions. Why? Because we're in process. And yet when you are tempted to say, there is nothing good happening. All the good stuff that was gonna happen happened 30 years ago. And that's the only good I can find here is the stuff that's 30 years old. It's all gone. But that's not the promise of Philippians 1.6. That's not living out the process. The process is that God, who began a good work, will be faithful to complete it. So I'm amazed at how often, especially in church world, we just want things to be set. You know what I mean? This is the, one of the things I found as a leader in the church world. People, we just want things to be set. We made a decision, we made it right, we got it good, and we don't have to ever think about it again. But that's not really process either. And we've got this dynamic growing, changing, breathing, people coming in, new life, people dying and getting promoted. I mean, we are in flux all of the time. And Philippians 1.6 says, 
That's part of it. Especially when we know that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So we embrace that process. I want you to see a second piece, though, that that Paul gives as we think about what is his current reality and desired future. When he says in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. And then he says, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And I want you to think about this. What does it mean to be anchored in God's grace? Again, some huge implications for us when we really think about this. When your future is sure, the current reality does not have to overwhelm us. So in the midst of the process that we are all in, when we are finding things that are not yet to our liking or we're dissatisfied or we have not yet arrived, we do not have to be overwhelmed by that because our future is sure. Think about this. We live in an age of incredible provision incredible technology, incredible opportunity, in ways that our our forefathers and mothers would probably look at some of the things that we have in our life and they would say, this is unbelievable. You should wake up every day pinching yourself because I can't believe that I live in such a time as this. And yet it's such a time as this. People are restless, angry, broken, like never before. Think about this. Your current reality is going to fluctuate. Paul was imprisoned more than once. He was writing this joyful letter from a jail cell. And if this world contained his true treasure, he would have been very miserable. But Paul learned the secret of contentment He learned that he was the undeserving recipient of the unbreakable grace of God. And then he writes to people like the Philippians and he says to them, all of you share in God's grace with me. That is what it is like to be anchored in God's grace. Paul actually said crazy things like, I've learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. And we read that and we go, that sounds amazing. But it's hard to live that out when the future is certain and we know God's desired future. He has a church that he is calling together, that he is coming back for. He has a a plan in place for us that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the mind of any of you here or me how great the promises of God are. That's like the promise that he is developing for us. And when that's certain for us, then our current reality doesn't have to overwhelm us. Now, I do want to say this. I find this fascinating. You can talk to people all the time who are dealing with a a level of God frustration. You know, there's a lot of folks who don't believe in God, a lot of people who who are not part of, of church circles or whatever. But even many people who are not following Christ, that God may be in the equation somewhere. I've talked to people who have said things like this. I could never believe in a God who would allow this and whatever this is, a sickness of a loved one, a suffering suffering of a friend, injustice in our world, hypocritical leadership. I would never believe in a God who would allow this. 
And, and I began to realize, as I thought about my own struggles of faith, the struggles of faith that people that I know or, or people who just were very antagonistic to the notion of a God who would ever allow something like that into their life or into their world, and I began to realize how homesick for heaven we actually are. For someone who would reject God on those grounds, or maybe you're even here listening to this message very much in that place saying, I just don't, I'm not even sure why I'm here. I don't really want to believe in a God who would allow some of these things. Could I ask you to think through this just a little bit? What is the promise of the desired future that he gives us? It is sickness being swallowed up in ultimate healing. It is a king who rules with perfect justice. It is the elimination of all duplicity as the light of Christ reveals the true us, which is both wonderful and frightening at the same time but it's not unclear. For the believer, that actually means, when we think about the desired future, just think about this for a minute, the pain of this world is the closest to hell that you are ever gonna get. That's what that means. And I'm not saying that to suggest that the pain in your life is not real. There are those of you in this very room or watching us online that I know that right now you are dealing with the pain of this world. It is hard. Current reality is hard. And yet, the pain of this world is the closest thing to hell you are ever going to experience if you are secure in the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, the inverse of that is true as well, that the joys of this world, which are quite beautiful when we get them right, but they are the closest thing to heaven that you will ever get if you are not in Christ today. And for me, who has experienced some joys in this world, no question. I mean, there's some great things I've experienced in this world, but I, I, would, not, I, I would trade all of that. I would trade all of that for the promise of eternity with him. I think what we're getting at here, and, and I love that Paul just invites them in. You share in God's grace with me. Church, if you are not anchored in the grace of God today, the current reality of this world will suck the life and joy out of you. That is part of our current reality. But if you're anchored in the grace of God, you realize I'm in process here, I'm anchored in the grace of God, all of a sudden my future looks very different. So I wanna get to our third point here. Talk about being Embracing the process, anchored in God's grace. Look at this third one with me in verse 9. This is my prayer, Paul says, to this church that he loves. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Now, I, I find this fascinating because we're talking today about what would it mean to allow the Lord to bring to life the seeds that are planted in prayer? And how does Paul get to that next thing after prayer is done? More prayer. He says, by the way, I'm still praying for you, 
I, I'm thankful every time I remember you. I pray for you with joy, etc. And I'm still praying for you. And I pray that you would, your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Church, why did we start the year with a greater emphasis on prayer? Because this is where the current reality begins to shift toward the desired future. Paul knew that this dear group of believers, what they needed most was an increase in the love and knowledge and depth of insight leading to purity, filled with the fruit for the glory of God. And when the glory of God is your goal, you actually get set free from the bondage of your own reputation. We can stop caring quite so much about how we are perceived because it's for God's glory. And if I get it right, it's for God's glory. And if I fall on my face, I'm striving for God's glory. So we get set free when we have that set in the right place. Prayer changes the atmosphere. I don't know what God will do with the seeds that you have planted in prayer in these first 40 days of the year. But I'm anxious to see what will happen as things begin to spring to life. I'm intrigued. I've always been intrigued when we see the move of God, sometimes coming in ways that we didn't expect, but it almost always comes back to the fact that somebody was praying. Somebody was on their knees. Somebody was asking God to bring life in a place that seemed perhaps to be dead. I recently... Um, heard of a, sort of an acquaintance. I wouldn't call him a friend. I, I, I didn't know him that well. A man by the name of Theo. He was born in Africa, and um, he was a church planner and an evangelist, you know, and so normally when I, when I talk about like, you know, oh, this guy's a church planner, it usually means they've planted a church or even two churches or maybe a few churches, whatever. And as I got to know this guy, Theo Barake, a little bit, um, I was staggered to find out that he had planted 70,000 churches. And someone who's a bit of a mentor to me, who looks up to this guy, said like, you know, <laughs> when, when somebody plants uh, seven churches, you would say, wow, they're really doing a great job. If they planted 70 churches, you put them on the cover of, you know, Christianity Today or something like that, wow. You know, but for someone to create house churches and gatherings of, of praying people who are spreading the gospel all across Africa, and then at the end of his life, because he just died in December, sadly he was young, he was only probably in his 50s, and the Lord called him home, but not before doing this incredible work. They, they began to try to figure out the influence of his church planting ministry and suppose that up to 10 million people, million people, have come into a, a relationship with Jesus Christ because of this man's ministry. What does God do through the seeds planted in prayer? What can God do through men and women who say yes to him? So Theo died, and they honored him as they should, and glory to Jesus. But I, I came across this quote from something that he had said, and it made me think about our church. When we think about what does it mean to pray to go deeper. It is impossible to plant healthy, multiplying churches 
unless they are praying churches. That was sort of the thesis of his life. And then he said, churches that pray win souls. Churches that don't, don't. (laughs) Prayer increases our hunger. Prayer changes the atmosphere. So what does Paul say after a season of prayer? What do we say after a season of prayer? Well, we got to pray. We have to continue to be the kind of men and women who would hold that course and say, we will stand together. We will allow our marriages, our families, our our roommate situations, our, our close relationships, even our work environments where appropriate to be the lighthouses where God has space to move. And I'm going to share next week about some of the ways in which God is already doing this. I I see God at work and stirring some some beautiful things. But churches that pray win souls. Churches that don't, don't. Current reality, desired future. What is God's heart for our church? Next week, I actually want to pick this up. Today, I just really want you to make this personal. I think there's a, a thousand and one applications where you might already be thinking like, yeah, what is my current reality with this? I haven't really been thinking about that. You know, what is God's view of my current reality? What is the desired future? Where am I trying to go? I don't want to just sit around and complain. You know, I sit around and complain about my job, sit around and complain about my family, sit around and complain about my marriage. Sit around. I mean, we can do that forever, or we could be serious about saying, God, what is your desired future for this? And help me to begin to pray into that. So I want to encourage you to simply make it very personal today. Next week, I actually want to keep on these same two questions, and we'll talk about what it kind of means for us sort of on a corporate level uh, as a church. But today, I just suspect that there's some areas that maybe you would say, I'm ready to bring this to the altar, maybe literally or maybe proverbially. And I want to bring this situation, bring this need before God. This is my current reality. What is God's desired future? So stand if you would. We're going to pray, and then I'm going to have the the worship team lead us out of here. I want to pray for you. And then just ask you to be responsive as the Spirit leads. So, so Jesus, we are in your presence today. We are seeking you today. Uh, we are grateful today because you have given us this beautiful permission to be in process. I don't know, church, if you realize how significant that is. Some of you do. You've been doing this longer than I have. But, but I suspect there might be somebody who today, the Holy Spirit might quicken that truth in you. Might say, you are in process. Brother, sister, you are in process today. And that means you're not done. It's not an excuse to sit back and kick up your feet and say, well, I'm in process of it. No, get in the process. Start asking the question. God, what is my current reality? What is the desired future that you would speak over this. So Lord, I just want to declare a couple things. Receive these for those of you who need to receive them. I would declare in Jesus' name that there are marriages that are here. People that are listening to this message who you are convinced that there is no life left 
So I just want to speak a prophetic word over you that God would bring to life the seeds that have been planted. There's somebody praying for you, even if it's just me right now. Lord, that you would bring life back into the places that have been perceived to be dead. In Jesus' name. I want to speak over some of you who are wrestling with vocation. You're wrestling with calling. You're wrestling with a sense of knowing which end is up and what God is asking you to do with this thing called your life. Lord, I want to speak that the places that are perceived to be dead, the places that are perceived to be lifeless, the places that are perceived to be dead ends, may actually be received as your way of directing our path and guiding our steps. So Lord, I want to pray that over a brother or sister who needs to hear that today, that they might have hope once again in the plan that you are unfolding in their life. Lord, I want to pray for relational healing. I want to ask that you would bring to life the seeds of prayer in the places that things were perceived to be dead. I pray that there would be restoration in Jesus' name. I do pray, God, that there would be provision for those who are just feeling like they are running on empty. And whether that is financial or spiritual or emotional, Lord, I pray that there would be provision today in Jesus' name. So church, can you hear the voice of the Spirit saying, come to me. Come to me. As we worship, if you've got a special need that you would like to bring to the Lord, um, I love altar time in my own life, and I love altar time in the life of the church. And I would just say, you know, don't, don't run from that opportunity to, to sort of make a physical declaration with your, your body. You, you come forward, you, you put yourself on your knees before the Lord, and you say, here is my current reality. And God, would you help me to find your desired future? That is a powerful posture of trust. So let me invite you to that. Even now, before we start singing, if you need to come down and just spend some time on the front rows or at the altar here in prayer, we invite you to do that. So Jesus, call us forward, we ask. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Come forward if you need to spend some time at the altar.